Anyway. You don't have internet in eastern Canada? No, the whole of eastern Canada is blanketed in ignorance. They don't have any internet at all. <laughs> we apologize to our listeners of the show from the east coast of Canada and the United States. The More Than Just Code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 55 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And once again, we have Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hi there. Alrighty, so I have a follow-up item. I was talking to Mick and um, Daryl Bayless on the uh, Slack group today. They're the, a couple of guys on the Android team, asking them if they knew about uh, Amazon Underground. And, and what Mick pointed out was that, that he'd read on this link that I got there that uh, how they're going to pay for it, I guess, is by, by flashing interstitials into your app while you're, while you're running it, if you participate in that program. Yes, that is obviously why, yes. Advertising is the answer. And they're interstitials. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing here, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. So when they launch, for the first time, you get a welcome message in the form of an interstitial ad. <laughs> welcome to buy this thing. In subsequent times, <laughs> the user either launches or resumes the app. Interstitials will also sometimes play. So they don't inject it into your app itself. It's just, yeah. you know. I guess, is it, is it the case that you're launching the app from the underground app? If that makes sense? Like, yeah, does, does the Amazon app the launcher for those free apps that you're using? Or I think do you it's just a store. I think, I think you just have to go through the side-loading bit to get something other than Google Play's store onto your um, your Android device. I think the apps will just be installed right onto your device like normal apps. Okay, okay. So I yeah, wonder how, the, they, how they know that then to... Is that an Android thing that they... Probably like, using like an SDK of some sort. Kind of like an iAd SDK. Okay. So, I, yeah, I was under the impression that developers didn't have to do anything to be on this store, that they could just be in there. Oh, yeah, sorry, you do have to make code changes here. Do you? Yeah, yeah. this is, yeah, this is ancient information, but I actually at one time did have an Android app on the Amazon, Amazon store, uh, mm-hmm. and it had to be submitted through Amazon separately from Google Play. So it was a separate oh, build yeah. that they were doing things too. So, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing the same thing now. They have a checklist here, Amazon does, on their website uh, to submit your app to Amazon Underground, review eligibility requirements, blah, 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 but make necessary code changes, branding changes, and rebuild your app with a new package name as instructed in the link here. Uh, so there's clearly things that you have to do in order to get it ready to go on that store. And no doubt one of those is, is, a, is a mechanism to allow them to know when your app is running and inject an ad because that's mm-hmm. how they're making it work, making it rain. The big box... You have to install the Cellular Soul SDK. The which two? The Cellular Soul SDK. That's the one. Dot APK, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, and then you get to uh, you get to like fill your bathtub with with gold coins, at the mm-hmm. rate of what is this per minute rate point zero zero two. Yeah. Dollars. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I want they that money. You, they pay you in Bitcoin shavings. Mm, yeah. <laughs> in. I wonder how they're going to choose the ads, right? Because you, you, you want to make them appropriate for whatever kind of app you might be dealing with, right? So you wouldn't want Hellspawn 4 brought to you by Huggies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to work, right? It's not the right that audience. Would be the worst. But that's how, that's how awesome. web ads work, right? 
They're they're so yeah. stupid about targeting. Even the great machine itself, Google, with all of its knowledge about people, uh, is incredibly poor about m- mating ads with content. And uh, I don't expect Amazon to be doing any better. It'll just be, you know, the same old uh, stock, right? It'll be, um, you know, uh, Russian brides and... Uh... <laughs> 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 Insert your example here. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They they tend to uh, base it on your, your browsing history. So, Aaron, I don't know where you've been going. <laughs> if you get ah, Russian yes. brides. <laughs> yeah, I'm obviously anyway. looking for a Russian bride. Yeah, so what do you guys think... Uh, Speaking of ads, of the of the iOS nine capability to uh, run ad blockers and things like that, do you think that's going to have a big influence on the industry in general, the mobile industry in general? Because a lot of people make money off of mobile ads. I sure hope it does. Man, I cannot wait for that to come out because that's one thing I can't try. Like I'm running iOS nine on all my devices here, and I can't use ad blockers because I can't get any software unless I've written it myself, right? But, um, you know, obviously members of the press are getting this stuff from developers who are beta testing their versions of these things. Uh, I cannot wait to get my hands on one because personally I'm, I'm going to jump all over that and install them because I'm, uh, I've, I've really come over to the idea of it, especially using Ghostery on the desktop, mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about in previous shows. Uh, still a very big fan of that and noticing, definitely noticing the uh, performance improvements that, that come along with it. Um, having that same capability on iOS is going to be huge, I think, like an even bigger impact than on the desktop where uh, performance is at even more of a premium, right, than it is on a Mac. So uh, yep. it's going to be really good news. And I think I think people are going to get that too. You know, I, I think that uh, the word is going to get out and I think people are going to jump all over it and do what it takes to install this thing. Uh, you know, not everybody, obviously, but a really significant number of people. One thing that's potentially interesting is since this makes mobile web a lot less attractive for certain companies, companies who depend on a lot of ad revenue. Uh, So potentially it could, it could push these companies into spending more time on native, uh, native apps where they Mm -hmm. still can put in ads because that's just up to the developer. That's true. It's kind of an interesting thing. Like, are you thinking of of publishing app uh, or sites rather, like like an iMore, for example, or or what what do you have in mind when you're saying that, Mark? Well, there's there's plenty of companies out there who have mobile versions of their of their of their websites, mobile web versions of their websites. Sure, that just yeah. have tons and tons of ads in there. So, if that gets turned off as a monetization channel, uh, and these companies obviously still want to go after mobile traffic. They kind of have no choice but to build a native app and put ads into the native app. Right. Or which, they can go which, to Apple News, right? Oh, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, if it's if they want to have control over their own site and sell their own yeah, ads and things like sure. that. Uh, now, that makes it very interesting for, for mobile developers like us uh, because, on the one hand, it's a potentially new market to increase the value of our apps because mm-hmm. ad val- ad sales and the value of ad sales could go up right so so where you might have been getting a, a you know a cpk of not a cpk a, a cpm of of a few pennies or whatever um maybe that will go up if now there's no mobile web to to uh 
take up some of that demand. Yeah. yeah. Now, on the other hand, does that mean that the 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 experience of of mobile apps or native mobile apps in general is going to go down because now we'll see a lot more with the ads in it? I don't yeah. Know. So it's, Did it's you guys read the two links that I put on the show notes about this? One from Next Web. Um, and another one actually from iMore talking about uh, the iOS not content blocking. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. You know, I, yeah. I guess you know that's that's what's coming, right? Like, and this has been yeah, going on yeah. for 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 months. You know, we've we've known this is coming right. since WWDC, right. and yeah. uh, the the question has been out there. Um, you know, and we've spoken about it on past shows. So, um, do we believe in content blockers? Yeah, absolutely. They do the job. They 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 take care of something that has gone way too far. You know, uh, it's not yeah. just about about loading crap into our web pages. It's way more than that. It's about what it tracks, right? So it's the it's the hundreds of JavaScripts that are injected into the the page load mm-hmm. that you know go over ten megs a shot, and it's like stupid. But it's also what they take from you without your knowledge or permission, right? So tracking your behavior across websites, building a profile of you. And uh, that's not something that you're signing up for when you're just trying to read an article. So, uh, content blockers are going to fight back against that, and it's going to it's going to prove that uh, publishers and advertisers have gone too far, and they need to modify their business model uh, if they want to continue reaching customers. And by they, I'm, I'm talking about both publishers and advertisers. So um, they they really have to figure something out, and and ultimately they're going to have to have more respect for you know the the eyeballs if you want to call it that it's a rather mm-hmm. derogatory term but i mean that's how they think of us right right so um it's going to be it's going to be ugly for a little while for them you know uh and that's fine because it's been it's been party times for them up until now yeah you know think about facebook is probably the worst right <laughs> i mean seriously like they they are everywhere. They are on almost every web page out there, you know, and yeah. you're signed into Facebook all the time if you're a regular Facebook user. So right. your, your signed in account um, is being pinged on pretty much every web page you visit if you're not using a content blocker. So they know exactly what web page you've been viewing like all over the place because every web page you go visit has some kind of Facebook widget installed on it, which pulls a JavaScript from Facebook.com. And they know exactly who you are. I don't think people re- realize that. So this is a great thing. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm tickled pink. And uh, I just wonder, you know, uh, this is part of, to me of, of Apple's strategy that we've been hearing a lot lately about uh, being a force against the uh, the hordes of companies that are trying to raid your privacy, essentially. And Apple is being the one company that is going to try to defend the users against all these efforts to collect user data without their knowledge. And so this technology, you know, is is part of that strategy. It's part of that message, right? That they're saying to users, you know, trust us because we're the ones that are going to give you the tools to protect your own privacy when you're using our tool, our, our, our toys. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, they have the leverage to be able to change the industry in a way that makes them reexamine their their current strategies. Which are wrongheaded, right? Um, immoral, unethical. So that has to change, and Apple is is uniquely positioned to do that. So to answer your question, Mark, uh, 
hells yeah, I'm going to install one of these bad boys. But so are you know hundreds of millions of other people. Sure. And yeah. uh, uh, I think that things are going to be different pretty soon. Yep. Well, my question was really on the, uh, do we think this is an opportunity or for for native developers or is it a uh, a negative for native developers or or neither hmm. so um I, I have a note here in the the show's uh, document um and subsequent to my writing that note my understanding is that these are extensions and are presumably installed as part of an app kind of like third-party keyboards that you can have extensions for is that correct? Exactly. Somebody correct me on yes. that? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And these are just going to be like many of the keyboard extensions where you have an app that is pretty much just, hey, here's how you install the extension and turn it on sort of thing. Is that Has anybody seen the revised rules from Apple on these? So there's going to be an option in the settings to enable content blockers, which is going mm-hmm. to be a particular type of, of app extension. Uh, that you would create next code and attach to your shipping app. So um, what I don't know and what we can only speculate on is what if you have multiple content blockers installed and operating on the same web page, for example. Um, I imagine that they would all have a crack at it, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and because what content blockers do, how they work, is uh, they are code that basically receives the DOM of a loaded web page. Sure. And so... Those those applications then have the opportunity to uh, filter that DOM uh, using whatever rules they um, open up to their users to engage with, and then uh, spit out the resulting uh, modified DOM, which then gets loaded in the web page. Um, so obviously, you can take out the ads, you can take out anything really. Uh, the IMAR article that uh, that Tim linked in here uh, does a really good job explaining. Uh, the mechanism of how they work and has examples of what the iMore site itself looks like uh, when processed by one of these content blockers. Mm-hmm. I think there might be an opportunity here for folks, right? Because they're not ad blockers per se, they're content blockers and, and folks are yeah. using them to remove, you know, Google ads, analytics packages and, and so forth. Um, of course, ad blockers will be one of the early successful stories out of the gate. Um, but given you know, the, the current timing of, uh, of the year and the, the time in political areas, there might be a really good opportunity here. So giving a throwback to last episode where we talked about Donald Trump, um, you could make a, you know, remove Donald Trump, all instances of the words in the name Donald Trump, or to be fair, just for equal time, Hillary Clinton, if you swing that way, uh, from my feet, right? From every page that I browse. And think about that. You could be on like, you know, Hacker news or something because like oh look here's this remove my offending political party name from every news article that I read. Hmm. Couldn't be that hard to do. Just no, throw it no, together, that would be easy to do. Ninety nine cents in the app store, get all the publicity, and uh, then you're done. That reminds me of uh, Stephen Frank's. I think it's Stephen Frank uh, who who produced the Cloud to Butt plugin. Have you heard of this one? Cloud to Butt. Cloud to Butt. All right, I better look it up before I start blathering too much about this. <laughs> um, so it's a Safari extension that uh, it, that swaps out every instance of the word cloud uh. <laughs> with the word butt. Uh, so here is cloud to butt. It is Panic Steve, yes, his GitHub repo. 
a Chrome extension is what it is that replaces the occurrence of the cloud with my butt. Mm. And so that basically is exactly what Jaime is talking about here, <laughs> except, you know, Donald Trump. <laughs> or Taylor Swift, to be fair. You know? uh, sure. Yeah. So the Safari, Firefox and Opera versions of the same thing. So and I was going to ask on a related related topic. What do you think about Chrome blocking fl- uh, Flash? Have about you time. That? Yes. About time it does that. I do have Flash turned off by default. Um, yeah. And rarely use it and really only use it for areas that still kind of require it. Strangely enough, like Hulu.com, for example, on the desktop mm-hmm. still requires Flash, which is mind-blowing that they still do. Really? That's astounding. Yeah. That's really astounding. Yeah, I don't think it's for everything. I think some of their newer content probably does not, but some of their older archives do. So like Aaron, you've gone in and, and removed it, or you just disabled it? Just disabled it. I've removed it. It's uh, yeah. it's not on any of my safaris. Now, having said that, it just happens that yesterday I was uh, looking at something, um, and it had uh, several embedded videos on this one web page, and they were all embedded with Flash. Hmm. And so they were all blank spaces, and I really wanted to see them. I wanted to see them so bad that I downloaded and installed Chrome, <sighs> like oh. some filthy animal. Yeah, it was awful. Um, and so I had to uh, had to watch it that way. And that's the only time that I've uh, I've used Flash in the last phew, I don't know six to eight months, I or maybe mm. a year. Who knows? It's been a long time. So uh, pretty ugly. Back up here, you you downloaded Chrome to to watch movies done in Flash. That's right. How does that work? Chrome has Flash included in it. Oh, built in. Okay, built in. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a good solution. Yeah, because I don't I don't use Chrome as my main my main uh, browser, but occasionally I go there if something doesn't load or won't the form won't fill in properly or whatever. Well, that's it's nice because. Um, I mean, this has been one of Chrome's advantages, I think, for for Mac users in particular, right? Who don't want mm-hmm. who don't want Flash uh, in their day to day browser, uh, but still want to be able to see some Flash sometimes, um, yeah, because yeah. the the version of Flash is built in to Chrome and it gets updated with Chrome. It's not a separate thing that you've got to constantly update. Like right. you know, like once or twice a week, you're getting Flash updates, right? Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. seriously, guys, what is up with that thing? Like, why is Flash so poorly designed? Like, why, why couldn't they have fixed that? I don't know. It's like they, they did it to themselves, you know? Like, the reason there's so much antipathy towards Flash, mm-hmm. you know, is because it's crap, right? <laughs> like, it's crap software. Yeah. Like, why didn't they do something about that? It's too late now, but, you know, like, what what was up with that? I'd love I'm to sure see the book. It's not like they didn't have, you know, five years or so to fix it, right? Yeah, it's or, not like they didn't yeah, have yeah. 10 years to fix it, you yeah. know? And, you know, and if... Adobe, you know, was making all its money on Flash, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that yeah. they could have, you know, stuck some real resources against it and say, hey, fix this pile of steaming crap. Well, you know, it's funny because um, I, I, back in the day, was a flat, was developing stuff in Flash for people occasionally. Oh, Is there anything and that you I, haven't done? Well, no, I mean, but Flash MX and, and um, was Macromedia's stu- uh, Flash Studio, whatever, yep. those were some pretty buggy piles of crap, too. Um, they used to crash like right in the middle, of, like you know how Xcode used to crash when when Swift first came out, and you know how how you know things would just stop working. Well, that was like every day in in these Flash tools, they were just horrible. And and so I mean historically they've been crap. So I am totally not surprised ten years later that there's still a what do you call it a steaming pile of poo, right? So basically, mm-hmm. basically, 
Though it may surprise folks um, to interject here, something I put into uh, the chat for us. So as of September 1st, 2015, is yesterday from today's recording, um, Amazon no longer accepts Flash for rendering display ads on Amazon.com. Yeah, so as of this week, they finally stopped supporting that, you know, for for new advertising um, that they have. But I'm not sure how long their backlog is with Flash. But yeah, surprise, surprise, one of the uh, biggest technical companies in the world, one of the most advanced ones, was still supporting Flash. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, right there, it's it's just because of mobile, right? You just cannot have uh, those kinds of ads display on mobile devices. And most people are starting to use mobile devices to view Amazon.com. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, a, a significant right. percentage of their business is there. So doesn't make any sense those are just they'll be gray boxes <laughs> yeah uh, it's crazy it makes no I thought sense that was one of the advantages of, of, of android over over ios is the fact that they could deal with flash no true no it's not true uh that was true for a little while but it never worked well okay. uh it burned the battery to the ground uh right um and adobe stopped supporting it and you know all the companies that were saying oh well we have flash we have the real web is that what they said was that the phrase yes Something the like real that. web uh, on our mobile device because we have Flash. Yeah, they, they just like stopped saying that and just started backing away from it really slowly uh, mm. because it it was not a very good piece of software at all. As as crappy as it is on the desktop, it was even worse on mobile. So, yeah, that just stopped happening. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's been years, right? Like maybe 2012 was the last time there was a, a Flash plugin for an Android device. Hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but uh, something like that. It's been a while. Like we have not been talking mm-hmm. about Flash for a long time. It hasn't been an issue, and yet here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's. It, I mean, I got a call two three weeks ago from somebody saying asking asking if I would teach a course on on developing in Flash, and I said absolutely. Are no you way. seriously? I am. I am not kidding you. Do you want to name the school so that we can mock them ceaselessly? No, no, no. It's, you can't. Oh you can't blame the the guy who arranges the courses, but you know, still. Well, you can't you? <laughs> no. Can't I, I mean? Can't you? Because like, who would take a course in that? That would be. I don't, I don't know. No, it was. It, it was. A, it was. A, it was an enterprise level request. Like uh, some enterprise company wants wanted to have their in house people trained in building Flash. To this day, again, it was it's similar to what we were talking about. We were talking about Swift adoption with with Fuad was the fact that. You know these enterprise level purchasing agents or purchasing managers, line managers, whatever. Just hear this is this is the word. This is the the, the skill we need, and how do we get it right? Irrespective of whether it's a good technology to use or not. Gosh, that totally reminds me of this fantastic article article um, by Horace Dedu. This is called Fluid Computing, and in it he sort of bemoans the fact that enterprise adoption is really slow, but it wasn't always that way. I mean, um, he kind of goes back a bit in history, you know, to, uh, you know, up to really the 70s and 80s when uh, technology, or sorry, enterprises were like the first adopters of technology. When computers came in, the benefits were seen very clearly and they were rapidly adopted. Um, But nowadays, of course, you know, enterprises have really frozen uh, and tried to lock out technology. Right. Uh, yes. So any time a new technology becomes available and he kind of goes through, uh, he says, here, this is actually a funny line. Today, IT departments are known as the information denial department. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, DVDs, no. Um, <laughs> because yeah, originally of, iOS know. devices were no, oh, we can't yeah. support them, and you know. And that yeah. and that um, that denial of any new technology sort of took the enterprise, you know, as a whole, kind of off the map in terms of new product development planning. You know, right. that yeah. when you try to build a new product, you build it for the enterprise. Well, why would you do that? They're just going to say no. They don't want to adopt a new technology. They're still programming in COBOL, for goodness sake. So, um, <laughs> and, and so they got left behind, right? And and Flash, exactly. And IE six, <laughs> right? Things yeah. like that. You know, why would you even talk to these people? Because they they don't they don't adopt new technology. So why why build anything for them? And they got overrun, right? You look at uh, what happened with with the iPhone. That mm-hmm. you know they just got steamrolled because the people who actually worked in the company started bringing them in and insisted on using them, insisted yeah. on being supported. And the enterprises couldn't help it. They had to uh, accept them to support them. Um, and so it's kind of sad, really. Um, and so when you look at, you know, I, I just couldn't square that with what Fouad was saying a couple weeks ago yeah. about enterprises, you know, adopting Swift, you know, because again, like new technology and you know, like I'm, I'm the first one to tell you that you should probably be a little more progressive in your technology choices. But as you've heard me say, uh, sure. Swift is a little too progressive because it's still literally changing underneath our feet. Um, mm-hmm. Enterprises should probably hold off on that one. But here's Fawad saying, no, 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 enterprises everywhere are adopting Swift. Uh, and uh, that's that's difficult to square. I I, I I'm not saying he's a liar. Uh, there are certainly t- enterprises that are doing it. Oh, I don't want to go too far afield here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> On the whole, enterprises are adopting very slowly, and uh, so it's kind of sad to see them uh, still supporting Flash when it is clearly – I mean every sign is that Flash is dead, and it's mm. been that way for years. I think one way to reconcile, um, Aaron, the the weirdness of like how could they be going with Swift might actually be because they're jumping a whole technology generation, right? So if you take what Horace Dedu's article is talking about where – Things are looked at with a very, very long-term view and, and viewed as very risky. Any change is, is a huge risk, and it takes these long, exhaustive processes to figure out what the vendor selection should be. And then by the time they choose a vendor, it's like, oh, look, that was obsolete technology. Yeah, Maybe it's it's kind of that situation where they're, they're jumping technology. So kind of like in third-world countries like India, where they kind of skipped the whole telephone landline generation yeah, and went exactly. immediately to mobile. Um, could also be the case happening here where companies were going from, you know, all of our systems are based on Internet Explorer 6 to, oh, by the way, we're going to do this mobile app. Uh, and if we're going to do a mobile app, why would we use a dead, quote unquote, dead technology like Objective-C? We could future proof this by choosing Swift, which is clearly the direction that Apple is choosing. Right. You can you can rationalize it under that model. Wow. Well, that, that was incredibly thoughts. persuasive. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the most persuasive thing I've heard. Uh, to support the use of yeah. Swift in the enterprise. Yeah, and what I was going to say was it seems to me from what I, the, the messages I'm getting from companies that are supporting the enterprise is that that they re- somebody is waking up and realizing that they're that they're behind the behind the eight ball here or they're behind the time because now they're asking for, they're scrambling. I mean, IBM and, and Apple came out with a big announcement as part of, a, was it the watch announcement, announcement that, that they were partnering together to build stuff and, and uh you know, Fawad keeps sending me all these these leads from from Am- or from IBM hiring people, and I you know IBM in Toronto is hiring people, 
It's, it's happening all over the place. And Apple's now looking for enterprise-level iOS developer kind of consultants to go in and do things for them, right? So it sounds like there's a, there's a, some sort of wake-up call that's been going through the enterprise, maybe slowly, you know. I find that most, most businesses that need um, iOS development don't realize it yet. Well, you know, Apple, with their partnership with IBM, is, is like going to be hurrying to fulfill those needs. You know, so yes. like they've 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 got a commitment to make hundreds of apps <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. in every vertical that they can cover. Right. So, yeah, I can understand that they'd be hiring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Do you want to talk about the uh, the Apple event that's going to be next Wednesday? Sure, uh, a week, I think we have a week to, today, right? right? Yeah. It's a week today. We have, we have to speculate on that. I don't know how much speculation is left to do because uh, Mark Gurman has laid everything out for us. In this nine to five Mac article, which will be in the show notes, uh, this this was published today, and uh, German laid out uh, pretty much everything that we're going to see at the event next week. Um, well, at least that you'll see because I'm going to be offline in the hinterlands of Canada. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's going to happen. So the big, the top of the line uh, features here that we're talking about, we're going to see the iPad Pro, iPad oh, really? Mini Four, and an Apple TV Four. Uh, mm. Those are the big. Oh, also of course well, the iPhone. Two new phones, six. of course. Yes, I, I yeah. yeah. Those those will be footnotes in this uh, right. event. I if if any everything we're hearing is true. Um, so just focusing on sort of the uh, the big uh, product announcements, um, we are looking at uh, basically uh, there will be no iPad Air three introduced in this event. Right. Uh, it will. Um, because they're going to hold hold pat on that product, figuring that the thing is uh, is fine the way it is, but mm-hmm. they're going to bump up the the mini version, which they held back last year, leaving it basically with uh, on, the only improvement being Touch ID. I think was the was the update and the colors. Remember, we complained about that when those were introduced. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, so now they'll bring that in line with the with the Air in terms of uh, CPU and RAM and all that stuff. Yeah. So it'll be able to run the iOS nine features, of course, for the iPad, mm-hmm. the the multi uh, application features. Um, so that'll be fine. iPad Pro. This is a huge product. We talked about this last week or the week before, speaking about what um, what Apple's got in store to answer the problem of why the iPad isn't selling as well as it used to. Uh, because it hasn't found its niche yet. It's our hope that the iPad Pro will answer those questions by somehow moving forward the platform, providing better capabilities. I hope it's more than just a larger iPad, but time will tell. <laughs> and Apple will no doubt have a story to tell us about that You know, at the event. Suffice to say, it's going to be a big event. Uh, and then, never mind the phones. We, we know what the phones are. They're going to be fine. Evolutionary. Um but also the Apple TV 4, and they're calling it the 4 because it's the fourth generation of the Apple TV. And it's looking like it's going to be a pretty substantive upgrade over the existing puck that we've all got plugged into our TVs. Um, and so that's going to include a, a game platform, an app store, and a novel new controller uh, that'll be like a Wii, apparently, which you'll be able to use to control the... Uh, the UI on the device, um, as well as using uh, Universal Search and Siri 
to control your Apple TV. And universal search is actually a really big deal. Like, um, you know, the, the way things are kind of balkanized on the Apple TV right now. Uh, you want to find a particular show to watch, you got to go into iTunes, or if it's not there, go into Netflix. That's 27 not steps, there. needless to say, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but now you'll be able, theoretically anyway, um, you know, to speak into your remote. You know, find me Breaking Bad, and it'll show it to you. Here it is on iTunes, here it is on Netflix. Uh, take your pick. Right. Uh, which is a really big deal, I think, uh, because it's a capability that, you know, is head-smackingly obvious. Uh <laughs> but which no one has been able to do yet. But Apple's going to be in a position to do that. So that's very, very good. Um, and then, of course, you know, per, from a, on a personal note, um, having an app store to, to build, you know, let developers build and sell apps to run on the Apple TV um, is a pretty exciting new capability. And it opens up a whole new market for developers as well, assuming they have an app that makes sense on that platform. <sighs> so... Big event, <laughs> and also like it's it's worth noting that this event is hosted in a in a giant building that they've only rarely used before uh, mm. in San Francisco, and it's like got what seven thousand seats. Yeah, like it's a it's a great huge building. Um, so this is a venue that they just don't normally use. Um, it sort of befits the scale of what they're planning to announce next week. So it really pisses me off that I'm not going to be here to hear it. Furious. Mm. Ah, anyway. You don't have internet in Eastern Canada? No, the whole of Eastern Canada is blanketed in ignorance. They don't have any internet at all. <laughs> we apologize to our listeners yeah. for the show. While we're, the like, we're flying Canada Porter. And the United um, States. And sometime over, like, sometime as we're passing over Quebec, it just, like, goes zip, zip, it's gone. No internet. Um, uh-huh. And then we land in Halifax, and everybody's just kind of blindly running around like crazy people in ignorance. No internet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just kidding. It's not like that at all. But the part where we're going is pretty remote. It's in a rural area, and uh, there's, uh, I'm told, very poor cell coverage, and certainly no internet at the house itself. Um, so that's my, that's my problem. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. what do you guys think of all these announcements? Like, this is going to change the landscape, right? Mm, it definitely does. I mean the the Apple TV upgrade for users will be really nice if it's what everybody's claiming it to be um i will point out that that some folks have been talking rather bombastically about you know as a gaming platform this thing competing with like the playstation 4 the Mm. wii u and the x bone and let me just come right out here and tell people like (laughs) you are crazy it will never compete with those devices (laughs) like from what i'm talking about right as a person who plays video games like it will never have the triple a quality games in no any, Star Wars Battlefront, eh? I mean, it, it'll have some, don't get me wrong, but it will not compete in like, oh man, should I buy a, an Xbox or should I buy an Apple TV? It's like, well, if you're a serious gamer, uh, you're not even going to consider the Apple TV, right? But it yeah. will be good for some things. Like, I think it'll play really well for uh, certainly casual games, of course, games you can imagine the Nintendo Wii back in the day playing. Like, that would make sense. And, and certainly... Um, the potential number of people that would buy it, since it's a much more casual platform, should easily eclipse the you know the set of you know, any one of the, the platforms like Sony's, Microsoft's, or Nintendo's, and, and possibly all of them combined. But it won't it won't compete in the same way that people are thinking about, right? It'll compete on a market share basis, not on probably not on profitability, and probably not on like oh wow, this is where I play all the cool games, sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that's because of hardware issues or is it just because the developer support won't be there 
I think the developer support won't be there. So let's just, I mean, hardware could be one thing. Um, I mean, it's just not going to get, let's say, $200, which is the top end that people are talking about, 199 so more expensive than the current Apple TV. At 199 um, and assuming that Apple makes some sort of money from it, right, because they don't break even on, on hardware generally, like there's zero chance of it competing with uh, even the Nintendo Wii U. Like it just wouldn't make sense financially. They couldn't possibly have gotten the components like that. Like maybe they get some economy of scale because it's internally very similar to like an iPad Air 2 or something. But it's not going to have the raw horsepower to keep up with a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox One. Um, I just don't imagine for a second that there's going to be different games for Apple TV than there are for iOS. Do you think? Like, do you think that there will be games made specifically for the Apple TV? Because I, I, I my imagination suggests that Apple's going to roll this out and say, and, you know, here's this whole game platform. You know, the iOS has, you know, fill in the blank here, 400,000 games. It's the best game platform in the world. And we pulled in these five game publishers, uh, like here's Candy Crush, here's Angry Birds, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We wheeled them all out in stage, and it took them 20 minutes to get their existing <laughs> games to run on the Apple TV. Using size classes. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like all their all their stuff doesn't so is, is gonna be an, sort of resolution extra independent, large, right? Is there going to be like an extra large size class to handle this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But for games, right? Games don't matter, right? They'll just scale up to the display size or down. <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, but it does cool. open up a whole new style of game that you can't really handle on on the on the phone. Let's say. Um, True. You know, there's there's things that that just require the full screen. There's some of these big strategy or war games or whatever. You really need a yeah. huge screen for that. And you can't really do that too well on the on, on the small uh, you know phone size. They barely work on the iPad. Uh, so there may be an opportunity for some of those kind of things. Right, and the controller will absolutely have to be included as part of the out of the box experience. Um, because I remember back in 2013 when the M5 controller capability came into ios i was super excited that this would be the opportunity to have you know third-party controller access to games and make something that requires a controller right the, the fast twitch kind of games like let's say like a mario because everybody has experience with that right you can't play mario on on an iphone or an ipad it just won't play as well like it's just technically not feasible to make it play as well the controller changes that but it also does make you start to wonder is the developer support going to be there for somebody to develop something that's pretty much just going to run on this one platform, right? Is it's, it's not going to run out of the box on, um, you know, let's say like Android devices, like Android TV, which does have its own controller system set up and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, where it, I'm sure they will have some, probably the, the larger publishers are going, yeah, whatever. It's, it's a one line line item. Let's just be out there. The publicity is good for our brand sort of thing. Yeah, yeah like people right. like EA, people like EA making sports games for it, right? Sure, Madden, mm-hmm. you know, Madden or whatever. Um, you know, just imagine people using everyone brings their own iPhone and, and uses that as a controller mm, for true. one game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like a, like a Wii controller in some sense. Well, that's an interesting thing because I was just thinking that you know you you to have a, a new system, you have to have a new input device, right, of some type, whether it's a hand wavy gyroscopy kind of thing like the Wii, right? But you're right. If you were using the iPhone to uh, 
as a pad to sort of handle a touch events and stuff like that. Maybe maybe it is possible. But yeah, I think I think I think Harmony's right. This is this is your mom's game system, you know. What about the other other products that they're going to announce? Anything significant to talk about there? Like like the iPad Pro, we talked about that a lot. But we did, and but there's really nothing to say until we see what they do, right? So yeah, um, I I got high hopes for that though. I can't. I don't know. I I have a hard time imagining that I would want to buy one myself. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I really who I really do hope that it answers the questions I have about the iPad as a platform, the problems, the worries. Um. Mm-hmm. And then um. You know, for the iPad Mini three, um. Or will it be four? Sorry. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> for the new iPad Mini, that's just an about time. For, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, yeah. Um, last, you know, last... I can see, you know, sort of uh, Tim bringing it on stage and going, uh, yeah, we totally should have done this last year, but here it is." <laughs> and you're right, Tim. You totally should have done that last year, you jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're going to see the uh, iPhones introed uh, with 16 gigs, um, and then and then 64 and 128. Again, another dick move. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, given the lead times that they need, that's probably just a result of having made the decision uh, even before last year's model launched. Uh, <laughs> Will they still have a 6 Plus, you think? Well, or 6 Plus-ish? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes. th- there's no reason for them not to. I mean, the combo of the 6 and the 6 Plus have pretty much, you know, destroyed Samsung's profitability. Oh, yeah? So why would you why would you turn away from that? Mm-hmm. And it was glorious, by the way. So what's what's conspicuous in its absence at this event now, assuming that they don't come? Uh, the still no, after how many years, still no updated uh, Thunderbolt display? Right. No mm-hmm. Mac yep. Pro update? Right. Uh, what else? Uh, when, when's the last time we saw a Mac Mini come out? It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Apple doesn't care well, about they, that. They one. do stealth upgrades on the Mac Minis. But yeah, you know, it's interesting, though. If they're coming out with an Apple TV, why wouldn't they come out with... Uh, you know, the 5K display. Yeah, maybe they will. Well, I yeah. think that's a hardware issue still. Um, there, there needs to be Thunderbolt 3 before you can have the, uh, the 5K display because really? there's no interconnect that exists today that can transport that kind of data, which is mm. why the iMac 5K is the only Mac that's going to support it because um, it's the only thing that they can move the data around inside of. Right. right. So even, even a Mac Pro today cannot drive that display. Because there's no. Yeah, but by the same token, though, I mean, like, 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 they're coming out with a new Apple TV. Maybe it's going to have a new interface built in, right? So that's like not the first time they've done a, a separate display inter- interface of some type with a piece of hardware. Eh, I have a hard time believing in that one. Like, you're you're thinking of like because the current Apple TV, for example, using HDMI. You thinking that there might be some uh, custom Apple interconnect that's possibly, like maybe based possibly. on Thunderbolt three and nah, I don't know. I have a hard time with that one. Because, uh, you know, like the speculation here in German's article, for example, I think it's, I think he went so far as to say that there's no 4K support um, in the Apple TV. Now, what do you think about Apple's, the rumor that Apple's going to start coming out with their own content video for, for Apple TV? Ah, oh, man. <laughs> it's worked really well for Netflix. It's worked really well for HBO. Yeah. Yeah, Amazon, but, uh, yeah, Amazon, yeah. Hulu. Yeah. Boy, that would be interesting. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it makes a lot of sense, you know, from a on paper sense? standpoint. On a, on paper, it makes sense of to, like. Well, read to me what's on that paper, Jaime, because I can't see it. <laughs> um, so if you're going to get people to pay for a box that is rumored to be fifty to a hundred dollars more expensive than its closest competitors, 
what are you going to have to offer? You can't just have, oh, it's got HBO. Yeah, so does my Roku at $99 and $79, even cheaper, like $49. What else you got for me? It's an uh, app platform. It's shiny and has an Apple on it. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, Air, AirPlay today has been the only example that, of the Apple TV being superior in any way, shape, or form to any of its competitors. And that's purely because Apple doesn't let it you know, out in the wild anywhere. It's not like an official standard. So having content is like, hey, here are these, you know, the, the House of Cards equivalent or the Narcos equivalent for, for that could be huge. Like on paper, it makes a lot of sense. Thinking about it logically, it makes no sense because Apple has no you know, experience with doing this. They would have to straight up buy some company to do it. Well, they have no experience making cars either. Right, and we talked about but, that. But, like appara- but apparently they're doing it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe they buy Pixar back from Disney or something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should buy Disney. Buy HBF. It just, just doesn't make any sense because of the focus thing, you know? Like, Apple is supposed to be a focused company. Like, and, and they've they've made a point in the past of saying, you know, we could fit all of our products on this one table, right? Um, and that's that's what makes them good. You know, and because they're they're a very centralized company in terms of command structure, um, so much of what happens passes through uh, very few hands. Uh, you know, like the central core, like uh, Cook and and Ive, and uh, you know Eddie Q is a leader, and uh, Phil Schiller. Um, like you could name the actual decision makers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're on on fewer than two hands, right? Yep. Um, and so to add more really divergent things to their bailiwick strikes me as uh, very difficult to handle, I think, in a, in a way that maintains their quality. That's what concerns me about that. Um, and, and it's obviously not an area where they, uh, they have a core competency and they just don't, right? Like it's just, it's so out there that I just can't fathom how uh, you know, maybe they they hire or 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 find someone in the industry. Like you know, when they bought Beats, for example, and they got Jimmy Iovine and uh, Dr. Dre into the company. You know, and these people are now the tastemakers for Apple Music. So maybe in that way. But other than that, I'm uh, I'm a little flummoxed about <laughs> where where the time and the mind share for that is going to come from. Tim has pasted in uh, the Apple execs mm-hmm. bio page. There just are not a lot of people, right, running that company. You know, I don't. You know, you don't hear much about Angela Aarons, for example. Very quiet. I'm I'm surprised because she's such a um, a public figure before she came into the company mm-hmm. uh, that we've heard very little about her. But I see Tim Cook, Eddie Q, Phil Schiller, uh, Johnny Ive. Um, you know, and maybe maybe Craig Federighi. Um, as the, the the real leaders of the company, you know the the core group, and so I just uh, just don't see how this fits into what these guys know. An Apple Car, you know, like I I don't see that as as being as out there as I do with uh, original programming for television or movies for that matter, you know, uh, because a car is a product, a hardware product, just like the computers they make. Um, in some ways, it's uh, not even as complicated. <laughs> You know, a computer is a very complex piece of hardware mm-hmm. um, and a car is just a big rolling computer, uh, you know, so and these guys love cars, you know, like you look at the, the people on this list of, of bios, 
and a bunch of them are are car nuts. Mm. So I can imagine uh, much more readily that they could be into cars than I can that they would be into original programming. Very different business. But original programming fits better into the iTunes and music on demand or video on demand concept. Uh, I mean, they already have a they already have a a channel for getting that out to people and especially with Apple TV that that introduces an even bigger channel potentially maybe not bigger but a, a, another channel uh, cars you know to sell cars you, you have big lots and salesmen and it's a, it's a very different business model yeah the selling model is different and that'll pose some many interesting discussions that we'll have thinking about what they're going to do there as uh, as that rolls closer pun intended yeah, um, yeah. so <laughs> we'll see we'll see about that I, I guess, you know, it's it's possible that, you know, they can regard themselves as having that channel already, just like Netflix does, for example. Um, and it's it's nice that Netflix has their own uh, original programming, and it's usually of pretty good quality, uh, the shows they produce themselves. Uh, I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> you know, one thing, yeah, one thing for sure, um, you know, given everything that Apple has said about the Apple TV uh, you know, Tim in, in the past has, has called it a hobby. Uh, you know, it's something that's interesting to them, but they haven't really figured it out. Um, if if Apple is in fact coming out with this Apple TV uh, with with a much more robust platform and a story behind it, then everybody's going to regard this as Apple's uh, graduation ceremony from hobby to actual business. For the Apple and, TV, right? And it's going to be it's going to have to be something that moves the needle. In terms of revenues, because today the Apple TV is just an also ran in this attached set-top box market. Mm -hmm. um, but if Apple is going to come out with something that can be considered no longer a hobby, then for, even from a, just a public perception perspective, uh, it's going to have to be something significant. And uh, I, I think it goes without saying, although Dan, if I'm not going to say it anyway, that uh, they are go they've got something big planned or else they wouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we've the things that we've heard, right? So app platform, check. Uh, unique way to interact with it, uh, check. With the voice and the motion sensing uh, control. Um, uh, original content, possibly. And the other thing that we've heard, but that is not mentioned in the context of this rumor right now, is um, a cable deal, for example. Like a sort of a $30 uh package where you get all of these channels streaming to your apple tv uh that seems like an inevitable thing but it also appears to have been the the one thing that's been holding this tv back for a long time now just not able to nail down those deals um, well, by the same token that's they, they did the same thing with the phone when they first came into the market that was wrapped up and you know held tightly by the carriers right Maybe, maybe that's their play is that they'll come in and, and upset the uh, the paradigms that are the current cable providers, right? Exactly. Yeah. They, they, need, they needed to come to market in order to build that momentum so that they can go back to the negotiating table with a stronger yeah. hand. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe Apple Music is, is a foray into that as well, right? So, or a mm. test bed. Hmm? You think? In, in what way? Well, I mean... It came out of, it, I don't know if it came out of left field, but it kind of, you know, the, so we talked about this with the All You Can App and, and uh, subscription services that, you know, they're controlling now. Instead of having to go to the App Store and buy individual songs, it's all you can listen to, right, in a in 24-hour period, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So if they 
the, if they could come to a model like that with with television or with with you know broadcast television like uh if if i could go and watch you know the my my amc shows and and my HBO shows through Apple's box and pay them one price. Why would I want to pay my carrier for the the exorbitant amount of money that they charge me for? Right. That's 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 exactly right. And yeah. getting them to agree to that is the problem, of course. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh, and but <laughs> uh, people seeing like you know the cable companies seeing Apple with Apple Music uh, yeah. know exactly what Apple wants and sure. they can see it out there. And I'm I'm sure it scares the crap out of them. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's not going to be uh, a ready example already in the market uh, mm-hmm. that that changes their mind. It's going to be, you know, hey, look, we've got 200 million Apple TV 4s plugged into TVs all over the place. Sure. Um, we're going to start charging them 30 bucks a month, and you're going to get this percentage of it. Mm-hmm. And now, suddenly those dollars might add up. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that's interesting is that uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, if you're following the, the the rumors on this, the the rumor was that the announcement of the new Apple TV was was going to be postponed. It wasn't actually going to happen in, in the meeting next week, and pretty clearly that's changed, right? Um, the consensus is that there definitely is going to be some kind of an announcement. So something changed, right? Maybe they did come to some kind of an agreement with some with some uh, content providers or or mm-hmm. someone. Yeah, that's true. Now, that would be huge at the event if that were the case. That's true, yeah, because yeah, what's yeah. been holding them back all these years, bringing out a new piece of hardware, right? Right. So uh, can, I have one follow-up thing before we wrap up here. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask you, Aaron, about you posted the Alan Pike article about now is the time for Swift. Is that you? Yes, I did post that. So can you? Uh, yeah, well, in, our, in our ongoing series of talk about Swift, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just can't. It's the topic we can't leave alone. <laughs> the the news demands it that we right. continue talking about Swift mm-hmm. uh, because we've been talking in uh, recent uh, weeks about uh, whether now is the time to move to Swift and you've heard my opinion on that goodness knows I'm sorry <laughs> and uh, Alan Pike uh, who is you know a pretty well regarded developer uh, Canadian actually as I recall mm-hmm. correctly um, we won't hold that against him no no we won't you know, obviously <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> We're going to take your World Series and you watch. Yeah, that's right. We're going to take it. We're going to take it and then what? Then we're going to take it. Oh, yeah. It the, the Blue Jays are actually kind of doing all right this year, huh? Kind of doing all right this year, huh? Yes. Apparently, the, re- the record right now is the same as it was when they won the last two World Series. Actually, that's changed now. They just won about five minutes ago, and so now they're... But, yeah, that was true at the time. So they're really doing better than the last time? Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, doing better. Okay, back on topic. <laughs> um, so Alan Pike uh, has written uh, an article explaining why now actually is a great time to move to Swift, and uh, his his rationale is is, is okay, I guess. Uh, you know, if uh, you you ignore my argument for why moving to Swift is a bad idea, then his arguments are actually pretty good. Uh, you know, and he outlines some of the problems that uh, that that we've all experienced, uh, and that maybe. Mo- uh, made us back off Swift a little bit um, because of the tools for, you know, uh, in large part and because mm-hmm. of the uh, the way the language has changed. Um, now, his company, Steam Clock, uh, they, they really decided to support Swift in a big way. Uh, they support other customers. Uh, I think they provide build tools of some kind. Um, and so 
when their customers, you know, overwhelmingly decided to go to Swift, they they went as well. Mm-hmm. So good for them. They had a good reason to do it. And so they are highly vested in Swift at this point in time. Um, but he does he does doesn't ignore the pain points of Swift. Uh, and but he kind of uh, writes them off a little bit. So um, where is it here? Oh, yes. Uh, in practice, it's not quite so bad. Lack of source compatibility between versions, which is, you know, what I've been complaining about, means that each time a new version of Swift is released, you need to block out an hour to a day to migrate your code to it, after which point it will no longer run the old version of Swift, of course. Um, and, and that one sentence is is exactly what I'm, I'm saying is the good reason that you should not use Swift right now, um, because it's just not source compatible to previous versions, and it's going to continue happening. Um, and his, his write-off of, you know, just block out an hour to a day, you know, uh, to me, is not an acceptable answer at this point in time. Depends you know, on the size of your app, to be honest. Obviously, with you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know, I think an hour to a day is a pretty broad range. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, and it, and it could be more than that because you know, depending on the size of your app, again, Tim, like you said, uh, there's testing involved too. You can't just like you know run the migrator tool and call it a day. Uh, you've got to make sure that it works. Um, yeah. You know, before you're making code changes all over your application. Um. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little, you know, like his his argument is really that um, that things aren't changing that bad at all. That this is um, there, there's a ton of improvements happening, and the rate of improvement is increasing, and uh, it's getting really really good, and it's getting a lot better. Um, but I I maintain my opinion that if you are working on a production application for a business that relies on that app um it is still not a good idea to build it in swift and uh, that's how i feel damn you i don't care what you say having said that <laughs> i was gonna say what about your note here in your in the yes notes? yes yes having said that um last last week i uh opened a new xcode project and i have built an app in swift mm-hmm. uh xcode uh beta obviously the new one and running in swift 2 and so uh, it's 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 a simple app and it's it's not uh, a business app and so that's why I'm I feel totally justified doing this. Um, mm-hmm. It's my own effort to learn Swift um, and get more comfortable with it and try to get over that hump. You know the hump uh, that I might be talking about. Uh, you would know it if mm-hmm. you wrote a line of Swift code, hit return on your keyboard, and then saw a big red uh, warning light in the gutter to indicate an error mm-hmm. on that line. Uh, you ever done that? Every day, several times a day. How about every line of Swift, right? <laughs> like that's when you're writing Swift, that's what happens. Every line, you hit, a, you write a line of Swift, doesn't matter how simple, hit return, and then you got to go back and fix the error in it because it's just, just not quite what you're doing. Well, I said I got I to gotta get over that hump because I got to get to a point where I can actually write an error-free line of Swift code. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say that, that actually started to happen. Um, my app is, um, is is just something for myself. Uh, I just started uh, taking a running course. And uh, part of that training is running intervals. Um, so you start with like one minute of walking and one minute of running. And then as uh, you go through pre- uh, progressive weeks, uh, you go two minutes running, one minute walking, and then three minutes, and then four, up and up and up. Yeah. Um, and that requires an interval timer which is a particular type of timer that can keep track of two time slots at once. 
Um, running watches have this. Um, like uh, if you could buy a digital watch that's, uh, that's meant for running at all, then you can set this kind of timer. But I have an Apple watch on my mm-hmm. wrist, mm-hmm. and I feel like I should be able to use that. And there were no good apps that I could find that offered uh, that support for the Apple Watch. And further, um, even on the phone itself, uh, it appears that no, no developer of a, of a running interval timer seems to have any clue about background <laughs> processes. So you start the timer, you turn the phone off in the background, and then it doesn't trigger after the end of your two-minute run. Mm-hmm. No alarm goes off. And you open the phone again, and the timer set at zero, going, "Okay, you guys ready to run or what? Let's do this." <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> so anyway, I thought I'd write one myself, just just quick. Um, and so I'm doing it in Swift, and it's it's actually going pretty good. Um, I've got most of the functionality working now, um, and it's uh, it's progressing well. So uh, Swift is not a total write off. Um, on the other hand, I feel like I'm cheating, and this is something that. Uh, that maybe Swift developers kind of feel as well, because as you know, Swift uh, works against the Cocoa frameworks, and so you can write uh, a, ver- a, a flavor of Swift that is very much like Objective C, you know, uh, like what we talked about last week, Tim, with your uh, uh, what was that called? That Swift converter? I Swift. I Swift. Uh, and it creates a very literal version of Swift that looks a lot like the Objective C. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm doing now, basically, and I feel like that's just the beginning stage of learning to program in Swift. Yeah. Um, where I, I thought I'd start off and try to be clever and create structs instead of classes, but that wasn't working. So I just went back to a plain Swift class, but then that wasn't working. So I decided to make a uh, an NS object subclass for a particular model object, and I know that with Swift. Um, uh, you know, the people that are most in favor of Swift and are appreciating what it brings um, aren't using it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're adopting the idiomatic uh, approaches that Swift brings, uh, like the protocol-oriented programming that uh, we've been hearing about so much. And we saw that wonderful WWDC presentation about that stuff still hasn't sunk in for me yet. And I mm-hmm. I don't get yet how to integrate that into my application development. Right. So... That, uh, to me, is sort of a next step for now. Um, I can report that I have been building an application using Swift on Xcode uh, 7, Beta 6. Uh, this, this process is dramatically better than it, than it is on Xcode 6. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so much better. And uh, I can see that, uh, that things have improved a lot. Uh, still standing by my opinion for business applications, but for for personal apps or small apps that don't matter uh, that are just for you, go for it. Do it. It's yeah. great. The water's fine. Come on in. Um, you know, but it's going to it's still going to take some time to really get into it. And let me um, let me uh, appendix this. Uh, as as I've mentioned before, I'm going away next week where there is no internet, where they've never heard of it. And uh, I'm going to take that time, actually, to try to do some more research into uh, programming with Swift. And I've come up with – I found a book, you know, like an actual book. You ever heard of those things? And this, this mm-hmm. book um, is one that I want to take with me. And, oh, you know what? By the time that people hear this podcast, it's going to be too late. I'll be gone. Uh, the folks at Objective-C.io, OBJC.io, mm-hmm. uh, they've been producing – 
or many uh, publications uh, for programming in um, in Objective C, and they were early adopters of Swift. They have a book now called Functional Programming in Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book uh, is sort of a, a deep dive into sort of the unique functionalities that Swift brings, and uh, I'm planning to take that book with me and sort of dive through it uh, and learn Swift. And if, but I I would love to know if there are any other recommended books uh for learning swift the idiomatic swift i would say well there the, there are um there are the best ones a fair fair number of books out there but they're not really any sort of earth shakers yet so i would uh, like the book the, the book that shakes the earth please thank you yeah that's what i'm saying most most of the books most of the books that are out there are are no longer compatible with the current versions of swift that are out there like the ones that are in print and yeah. a lot of the electronic ones haven't kept up and so even if you get a book in your hand, you'll still have to go through and fix the code because it won't run. Yeah, that's the thing. Like with this Objective CIO book, um, it's got an FAQ, and the first question is about Swift two, and they say, yeah. "Yeah, we're aiming to finish the update before Swift two goes public." Yeah. And because it's an ebook that I'd be buying, it'll have updates as it comes out, right? Yeah. So I'm sort of hoping that. I would certainly uh, like to hear from our listeners if there's anyone that has um, a book that they know of or, or have enjoyed, uh, it's particularly one you know geared towards uh, current Objective C programmers, mm-hmm. um, and it's, and especially you know like I said uh, that that can uh, have an angle towards the, the the parts about Swift that are really unique as to Swift, right? The functional yeah. parts, the protocol oriented parts, um, you know the things that you know. Because there are certain people that are really into Swift, you know, like you've seen them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and those those folks, um, they aren't programming the same way that I am. I don't think mm-hmm. uh, they're taking advantage of features in that language that are different than what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see what the what the, the deal is with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd so. be nice to see something on some design patterns and what you know what is the best practices stylistically, things like that. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's you know uh, something I've been saying from the beginning, right? Um, I've been asking for idiomatic Swift, and the answer I'd been hearing all along was, "Well, that doesn't exist yet. It hasn't been out long enough, right?" Um, but I think that's forming now. I think it's coming. Yeah, I know there's a lot of titles that are listed for November and December as well, too. So that aren't that's too late. Hmm? That's too yeah, late. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. And by the time they hit the streets, they'll they'll be out of date. Yeah. Um, which is the way it goes. Okay, um, let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks. And nope. Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. Oh, give her. <laughs> so it's a very interesting app by Rare Vision is the developer. It's called VHS Camcorder. Oh, right. That's kind of what it sounds like just right from the title. It's brilliant. So somebody has created an app that lets you record video and make it grainy and you know, jittery, just as if it was one of those old camcorders, those VHS camcorders that you either yourself have owned if you're out there listening, or, you know, maybe your parents or grandparents owned them, right? Somebody somewhere in your family tree has owned these VHS camcorders. And I guarantee you there are family videos and birthday parties and weddings running around with these things. And it's great because it's brilliant because it brings back all of this nostalgia for that. So it's a, it's a real brilliant use of, I assume, AV Foundation under the covers, right? To to record the the video and you can add all sorts of neat things like how much tracking noise do you see right you remember when you had to change the tracking for the vhs tapes so that way the 
the image would be aligned properly. You get that little line across the bottom where it's at a sink or on the edge of the tape. Yeah, and you can adjust how much that is, and you can put the date on there. So not only just like current date and time, but you could fake you as if something it. came from May 1st, 1988. <laughs> you can spoof it. Oh, my God. Awesome. I love it. You were such is, a uh, fan of the 80s, Jaime. You were you are a piece of work. You know that? You know, everything's coming, everything's coming back. Everything's coming back like uh, retro style, right, from the 80s. I just pasted like a, in a link that I'm sure you've seen, Jaime, but uh, it goes right along with your pick. Um, Kung Fury, which was um, oh, it was a crowdfunded campaign to create this movie uh, called Kung Fury, which looks like a cheesy 80s uh, kung fu action movie, mm-hmm. but it, it just like blows the scales uh, for for parody and cheesiness. It's just it's so bad it's good. Um, mm. Jaime, have you seen this? Yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. link is right below yours on the uh, document right now. Um, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen this, uh, you'll you'll appreciate that uh, maybe maybe your app was used in the making of this movie because there's all kinds of VHS artifacts and crap in it, tracking, etc. Um, so enjoy, you '80s freak. <laughs> Let it go, man! It's 2015. We're good. Well, back in the day, there was a movie. Uh, movie called um, Kentucky Fried Movie, which had a similar, it's like a day in the life of a television network. And in the middle of that, they had a good little uh, enjoyable kung fu type flick, similar to Enter the Dragon, but not quite as good. Mm. If you can I remember that movie. My pick this week uh, was the one I mentioned last week, but didn't get into, is a, a tool for helping you do animations in your apps. It's called Quartz Code App. And um, it's similar to Paint Code in that, uh, except that it does animation. So you can have uh, objects on the screen for your transitions or whatever in your app, um, and they can do specific things, and and they can trigger by events. And it's very similar to like a timeline, like like we used to do back in the Flash days, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. um, where you could animate things over time and have transitions happen. And when you're ready to uh, export that into your into your app, it um, Outputs uh, it outputs either Swift or Objective C code and with um, core animation and gives you all does all the sort of complicated math type stuff that you need to figure out to do all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of what you see as advertised on the tin. Uh, what you see in the code is what you get in the uh, in your in your resulting product. And there's a couple of videos online if you want to see how it works on the website. Um, but yeah, it's called uh, Quartz Code and basically we're doing custom animations in your apps. Ta-da. Wow. So this is a lot like the um, the one that I pointed out a few weeks ago. I'm trying to find it again. Principle for Mac. Yeah. So that was a new app at the time that was for creating animations, uh, but it did not. And you asked at the time, did it, did it export code yeah. like uh, like paint code does? And I said, mm-hmm. no, that's crazy, man. Who would mm-hmm. do that? And then mm-hmm. here you are. Check this out, brah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Here, I'm coming to steal your lunch money, pro- Principle. Here, give me your lunch money. I thought principle was for mocking up things. Am I thinking of the wrong app? No, you're not. Yeah, it yeah. is for mocking things up. Um, but it's like this is a tool for doing the same thing. You know, like a designer could do this uh, and create a, an animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of exporting a, P, uh, uh, a GIF or a, or a movie file, mm-hmm. here, you know, here's some core animation code. What's up? I'm a yeah. coder now. And you, <laughs> but you're just a designer. No, I'm a coder. Sup? 
<laughs> right, but it's a different level of way. abstraction, right? So I thought principle was more for uh, mocking up, you know, like user interactions, right? So like here is a flow in a potential app or or a revised flow in an existing app. And yeah, this I thought was much more, more contained for you know, you're going to animate this button or this onboarding screen. Um, yeah. So much more fine-grained, right? Like something that you might turn into like a little component. Possibly. Uh, I, I think that they definitely angle more towards what you're saying, um, you know, interactions versus components. Um, but I, I, I'm hard-pressed to imagine a designer uh, having both of these tools. I would tend to think that they would choose one or the other. Yeah, it's a possibility. Yeah. Well, same thing with paint code. It's uh, Paint code is, is helping people who um, don't have the mad coding skills to be able to create, you know, objects on the screen and animate them, vector objects, for instance, and, and animate, animate them around. And same thing with this. You can import images in and scale them and have them move left to right and transition in and out. And, you know, the video that, that's on the online there shows a pretty good example of how it works. But uh, And then you basically take the block of code, throw it into your app. and hmm, Interesting. Yeah. But it's a bit more controlled in terms of the timeline controls and stuff like that. So yeah. and and again, common color palettes and that kind of stuff. Uh, Paint Code has a similar thing too as well, where you can create a color theme that you then would use import into this, into each one of your projects, so that you're staying consistent with your, with your develop your design for your app, as well. So groovy stuff. Good. Groove Good. on. Groove Good. on, Tim. Good. <laughs> Party on, Aaron. Party on, Garth. All right. Um, all right, that's it. So uh, once again, we'll say goodbye for the week. And so if Aaron, people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to Twitter, at Aaron Vay. Go to magpievideo.com. Get an app. Right. Same old, same old. Yep. And I'm I also in Whitby, Ontario, by the way. I don't know why you don't mention that. Crazy. Well, yeah. People care. People care where I am, Tim. Well, you're going to be in, in, in Nova Scotia next week, so it's so true. Yeah. I will be. I almost pretty, pretty well don't exist on the earth. That's, that's where I'm going to be. <laughs> All right. We apologize to the listeners from Eastern Canada. Um, I may, if people want to find you on the interwebs or on the West Coast, where would they look? On Twitter as at Dev with a Hair. All righty, and Mark, if people want to find you on the interwebs. Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right, and I'm Tim Mitra. I am in T-O-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine and my website, it-guy.com. And, of course, you can reach any of us on the, through the, the uh, More Than Just Code website. And we'll see you guys next week. Okay. All right. You won't Bye. see me next so, week, but I'll so, see you the uh, week after next week. Oh, yeah, totally. So <laughs> extra extra goodbye from, from Aaron. Goodbye, goodbye. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening.
Where are you going? Going to Nova Scotia. Oh. We've rented a house on the extreme east end of Canada for uh, most of a week. Nova Scotia. Yeah. Uh, so we're flying so into towards, Halifax. But you're going towards, um, where is Sidney Crosby from? Cape Breton? I have no idea where Sidney Crosby is from. He's from Cape Breton. Which He's is a sports ball player though, right? East side of, yeah. Sports puck player. Sports puck. But he... He's, um, Cape Breton, um, ah. is the east end of the Nova Scotia sort of chunk of land, mm. the province of Nova Scotia. But, You're uh, not going to Mahone Bay, are you? I'm not, and, uh, yeah, and I, I, I that would be the west end, but just, you know, yeah. FYI. Not, not going. Certainly not, uh, not going to, in search of any sports puck people. No? Not interested in sports puck. We'll be doing other things, like... Well, it's one of the original Sports Puck Halls of Fame is there, too. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Not going to Sports Puck. No Sports Pucking.